person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Barnardot Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. I remember a few years ago, um, when CrossFit was first becoming a, a big thing. If you're not familiar, CrossFit is a brand of a gym. Uh, and people that did CrossFit never shut up about doing CrossFit. <laughs> I mean, every day they're sitting here talking about how great CrossFit was or how hard it was or how much their legs hurt. And don't get me wrong, I could probably stand to be a little more obsessed with CrossFit. I understand that. But it's like, you had two kinds of people in the world, right? People that never stopped talking about CrossFit and people who never, ever wanted to hear about CrossFit. I was in the latter camp. Well, I just bring that up because um, there are kind of two kinds of people when it comes to the book of Revelation. We're starting a series on the book of Revelation. And I feel like there are kind of two similar camps of people. There are people that always want to talk about revelation and end time stuff. And then there are another camp of people that never want to talk about and won't touch the book of Revelation with a 10-foot pole. You don't get a whole lot of Christians that are just mildly inter interested in revelation. But it's like a book of our Bible. We can't afford to just take a whole book of the Bible and chunk it out. This is God's word for us. Similarly, I don't think we need to color every single thing we do and say with end times prophecy stuff. So what I would like us to do during this series, and it's going to last for a while, we're going to try and cover the whole book. Excuse me. I would like us to approach the book of Revelation like we approach other books of Scripture. I'd like us to approach it by reading what is there and not kind of pull in all a bunch of other stuff because there are as many different interpretations of Revelation as there are interpreters of Revelation. My, old te my New Testament professor Robert Mulholland said that one time. But I think one of the reasons that some people don't want to get into Revelation is because um, there are a lot of misconceptions about this book. And I think if we can clear away some of these misconceptions, it can help us see more clearly what the book really is and how it can help us in our spiritual walks today. So we're going to start with our scripture. We're in Revelation chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 19. It's another thing about this series. We're going to be reading a lot of scripture. Uh, we're not going to just handle it in small chunks. We're going to read big chunks. Here's what it says. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of his prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and keep to what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, 
and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made to us made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God, the Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, he's coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother, who share with you and Jesus the persecution and the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed with a long robe, with a golden sash across his chest. His head and his hair were white as white wool and white as snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined as in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining with full force. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead, and see, I am alive forever and ever, and I have the keys of death and of Hades. Now write what you've seen, what is, and what is to take place after this. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we're going to talk about four misconceptions from the book of Revelation and talk about how this first chapter can help us clear up those four misconceptions. And I am relying a lot on two uh, scholars in this. One is named Michael Gorman, who wrote a fantastic book on Revelation. And one of them is Dr. Robert Mulholland, who has passed but was my New Testament professor uh, in seminary. His, <laughs> he had a course on Revelation, and the, the course title in, like the, in the, um, the course catalog was NT666. <laughs> so that tells you uh, he kind of approached it with a little bit of a sense of humor. So the first misconception about Revelation is that Revelation is future history. All right? This is, this is what some people think about Revelation. It's kind of widely taught, but in my mind, I believe that it's a misconception. Some people teach Revelation as if we're reading a history book of things that have not happened yet. But Revelation is not a timeline of the end of the world. It does deal with the future. There are, there are things that, that tell, give us clues about God's future for humanity and for the world, but it's not exclusively, or even I would say primarily, about the end of the world. There's a lot more than doom and gloom and tribulation going on. So if, if you're here because you want to know how the world's going to end, or how long the tribulation will last, or any of that stuff, um, those answers are not going to come in this series, uh, and I'm sorry about that. So while the book of Revelation might not be a future history, 
It is prophetic. And we get this in verses 9 and 10. John says, I, John, your brother, who share with you in Jesus the persecution of the kingdom and the patient endurance, was on the island called Patmos because the word of the Lord and the testimony of Jesus. He says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day, and he heard from a voice, a trumpet, saying, write in a book all that you see and send it to the seven churches. So he, he is a prophet in the, in the tradition of the Old Testament prophets. Now, when we hear the word prophecy, what, you know, if you say that you received a prophecy, what do you immediately think of? Someone is predicting the future. But Old Testament prophets were not about future predicting. They were about truth telling. And I think that's what Revelation has got going for it too. It's not about future predicting. It's about truth telling. You know, in the Old Testament, the, they would tell the truth about the past. Here's how Israel has messed up. X, Y, and Z. You've done this and this and this. They talked about God's truth about the past. They told God's truth about the present. Here is what you're doing wrong right now. And here's how God feels about it. And then they would also talk about the future too. If you don't straighten up, this is what bad thing is going to happen to you. Or if you do straighten up, God will relent. So they would tell the truth about the past and the present and the future. And John's doing that too. John isn't writing so that we know a future timeline of events. He's doing it because he has a truth for the people of God in these seven churches and beyond that because we're reading it too. Some of that truth was specifically for the people that were living there and receiving that message. It was truth about their past and their present. Some of that truth applies to us here and now. And some of that truth shows us a glimpse into God's future for humanity. But prophecy is not the same thing as fortune telling. It's not a code we're supposed to crack in order to know about the future. It is God's truth for us as a people. So that's misconception number one is that, that revelation is a future history. And while it's not a future history, it is indeed prophetic. Misconception number two. Misconception number two is that kind of the opposite camp is that some people believe that Revelation is an ununderstandable allegory. There's just so much symbolism, so much wild stuff going on that that's just inaccessible to us. We can just read it and... Just say, well, that's nice. I'm sure it meant something to somebody or sure I'm going to mean something someday. And then we just file it away and forget about it. Like it's ununderstandable. But I believe that's not true. I believe that while there are some things that will be a mystery and are a mystery, that there is truth for us in this book. There's truth for the people that heard it. And there is truth for us to be found here. It is not ununderstandable. The symbols mean something. So while it's not ununderstandable, it is symbolic. We get this, we get a, a taste of what the symbols are going to be in verses 12 through 16, where it's talking about the seven lampstands and the son of man with a long robe and he has white hair and a eyes are like a flame and feet like burnished bronze and his voice like a sound of many waters and he had seven stars in his hand and a swords coming out of his mouth. All of these things are symbols that meant something to the people that heard it. 
And it's hard to interpret symbols because, uh, you know, we don't live in the original context of that. And so some of these symbols have kind of been lost to time. And what some people do is they read these symbols and they just kind of imagine what they might mean. Um, like one of the things that I've, that I just remember is that, that there are people that talk about a, a swarm of giant locusts at some point in Revelation. And they say, well, what he's really talking about is helicopters because John saw helicopters and didn't know how to describe it, so he called them giant locusts. I don't think we should follow that route of interpretation. I don't think we should guess at what John might have been seeing that matches current day stuff because um, I, don't, I don't think that's the most faithful way to interpret these texts. Because while we can try to impose meaning on the symbols, the symbols actually meant something to the original audience. I believe that. I believe God was, was communicating in symbols in ways that people could understand. He was giving John a dream, and so John was using these symbols to communicate the truth of his dream in ways that they could understand that might have been beyond verbal understanding. It's like this. I, I put a little uh, insert in your bulletin with a little cartoon. I just wanted a chance to draw, really. I, I drew these cartoons. Here it is on the back of your scripture. So let's say you were on vacation in um, like New Zealand, okay? And you saw this top image of a raccoon kicking a platypus in a newspaper. What would you think that meant? I don't know, maybe raccoons are um, driving platypuses out of their natural environment. Maybe it's a, maybe they're two political parties and one of them won and the other one lost. I don't know, maybe it's a sports thing. Maybe there are sports teams that won, like, you know, their soccer, the, the platypus soccer team got thrashed by the raccoon soccer team. I don't know because I don't live there. And, and there are symbols here that we don't know about. Now, this is not a real car political cartoon. The symbols don't really mean anything. But look at this bottom one. There's an elephant kicking a donkey. Well, we in America know exactly what this means. It means that the Republicans beat the Democrats in an election. But imagine you were coming from a different time and a different place. Imagine an archaeologist a thousand years ago digs up this cartoon and sees an elephant kicking a donkey. What would they think? How would they know what it meant? There's no words there that say anything other than pow. They're wearing hats. I guess that might be a clue. But they, they, there's any number of meanings that someone without the cultural context of 21st century America that they might impose in, in on this bottom cartoon. But you and I who live here and now know exactly what it means without having it being explained to us. This is a little bit about what's going on in Revelation. Um, the sword coming out of the mouth, the burnished feet of bronze, those meant something to the people that live in those times. And so it's not up to us to guess an imposed meaning of what they might mean. It's up to us to discover what these symbols could have meant to the original audience. And I think the closer we can get to understanding what these symbols meant to the original audience, the closer we're going to get to a meaning that's going to be relevant for us. So, second misconception, the symbols are ununderstandable. And, and we, we, we 
correct that misunderstanding by saying, yes, these things are symbolic. Sometimes the symbols are a mystery, but they mean something, and we can, we can try to discover what the symbols mean. Misconception number three about Revelation is that all faithful Christians agree on how to interpret it. This is just not true. Uh, like I said at the beginning, there are almost as many interpretations as there are interpreters. Historically, there have been many different ways that people have interpreted Revelation, and there's no definitive interpretation. Now, I believe that some interpretations are better than others. It doesn't mean that every interpretation is equally valid. Some of them are more faithful than others. But, you know, I'm probably going to preach something that you might not agree with during this, during this series, and that is okay. Maybe you're right and I'm wrong. I'm, I'm open to that. But I'm going to try as hard as I can to stick to the text in itself here. And, of course, I'm going to interpret that text just like anybody else is. But there is one interpretive clue that I think is going to get us closer to a, um, a real interpretation that, that we can sink our teeth into in this series. And it is the genre of the book of Revelation. You know, books have different genres. You've got mystery books. You've got romance books. You've got nonfiction books. You've got biographies. The book of Revelation is a, a genre of apocalyptic literature. It is, it is a kind of ancient literature that existed during the time. And the, the, what the book of apocalyptic literature did was that it exposed an invisible reality. Much of the book of Daniel is written in the apocalyptic genre. Now, this isn't the only apocalyptic book we've got. And so to, to illustrate what apocalyptic literature is, did you know that as we speak right now in this room, Tim the Toolman Taylor is grunting. He's doing it right now because... On, on network TV, on broadcast television, there's an episode of Home Improvement playing. And so these signals, these invisible signals, are being shot through the air, through the waves, and they are permeating this room. And if we had a television up here with, a, with one of those digital antenna signals on it, we could plug it in, tune it to the right station, and we would hear Tim Allen going, rawr, 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 rawr. We would hear it and we would see Wilson pop his little head over the fence. But because we don't have a TV and an antenna tuned to the right station, we can't see it. It's an invisible reality that's going behind the visible reality that we see. But it's there. Similarly, this is what the genre of apocalyptic writing does. It's where authors have receive an insight into the invisible spiritual reality that's going on behind the things that we can see, and they use that insight to record it down and share it with the rest of us. And that's what John is saying here. It's like in verses 17 through 19. He said, he saw him and I felt my feet though dead, but he placed his right hand on me saying, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and I see I'm alive forever and ever. Now write what you have seen, what is and what is to take place after this. 
So he has been getting granted, he's been granted access to the invisible spiritual reality that's going on in heaven and that it's permeating all around us. We just can't see it and we don't have access to it. But John does, and he's using this apocalyptic literature to, to share that truth and that reality with you and with me and with the readers of this letter. So the third misconception is that that we that everybody agrees on the right way to interpret Revelation, and that's not true. But we can start to arrive at one when we remember the apocalyptic genre of the book. And we're going to come back to that over and over. But what John is doing is that he is revealing an invisible reality to people. So the fourth misconception about, about uh, Revelation, and it's, it's a misconception, but it's a real pet peeve of mine. It's not called Revelations. It's called Revelation, singular. There's really only one re- revelation. It's only one reveal. But that revelation is the central message of the book. And what John is doing is that he is revealing this one truth over and over and over in a bunch of different forms. And we see that in verses 4 through 6. Here's what the, the revelation is. Grace and peace from him who was and who is and who is to come. From the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The revelation is all about Jesus and Jesus' victory over sin and death. Now, later in the book, we're going to encounter the villain of the book. The villain is fallen Babylon. Fallen Babylon is is kind of the opposite of the kingdom of God, and it it symbolizes a bunch of stuff. It symbolizes sin. It symbolizes the Roman Empire. It symbolizes oppression. It symbolizes the forces of the world that are against Jesus. But the central thing is that Jesus was the faithful martyr, The character of Christ as the lamb that was slain never changes throughout the book. He receives his power from sacrifice. He rules in a mode, not in a domineering way, but through the power of a sacrificial lamb. He's the firstborn from the dead. He was not the lastborn of the dead. He's not the only one rising from the dead, but he is the first one. He's leading the way and the rest of humanity by the end are going to follow him. Those who believe, those who who are a part of the kingdom of God are going to follow him and rise from the dead as well. He's the firstborn of the dead. He's the ruler of the kings of the world. Like really, he is the invisible reality is that Jesus is the ruler of the kings of the world. He cleanses his people from sin. He's established a kingdom of priests and he will come again in glory. And what What this central message is, is that the invisible reality that John is being granted access to through Revelation is going to crash with the visible reality of you and me one day. And the the things that are invisible now will be visible then. 
The truth that we hope for now will be realized then. But until that day, we live in what theologians call the already not yet tension. We already have victory through Christ, but we have not yet received the final victory. Jesus has already risen from the dead, but he has not yet come again in glory. And so the rest of the book shows the different ways that the tension works itself out throughout human history. How it plays out like a battle between the Lamb of God and versus fallen Babylon. And we'll see different conflicts that God has with fallen Babylon over the book. Until the day when the Lamb will defeat fallen Babylon once and for all. And Jesus will usher in a new heaven and a new earth. So why does this matter to us? Why not just mind our own business and let the future play out however it's going to play out? It matters to you and me because, y'all, the world is crazy right now. The world is nuts. And we need reminding of the spiritual reality of the victory of Jesus over sin and death, maybe now more than ever. We need to remember that Jesus is on the throne. We need to remember that Jesus will win in the end. We need to remember that the invisible reality of God is as real as the visible reality that we see around us daily. And we have an opportunity to live into it here and now. The truths about Jesus are not just end times truths. They're true right now. Jesus will win. Jesus is the victor. And he wants us to participate in that victory. And knowing how the story ends gives us hope in the present to persevere. So let's commit today to paying attention to the invisible, behind-the-scenes truth that Revelation points us to. Let's commit to being on the side of King Jesus against the worldly powers of fallen Babylon so that we can participate in his final victory when he comes again. Let's pray. Jesus, what this book has shown us is that there is a spiritual warfare playing around us all the time. There are forces of fallen Babylon that want us to fall and want us to fail and want us to sin and want us to grow our pride so that we get distracted from the mission of God. God, I pray that you will open our eyes to this invisible reality that you are on the throne, you are victorious, and you are calling us to your purposes. God, give us grace as we approach this difficult book. Show us what truth you have for us in it. And give us more knowledge and more wisdom along the way. Give us your grace, Father. In your name I pray. Amen.